Hey, Jimmy, do they rock or suck? They have not started playing yet. That was a test, Jimmy. One, two. You passed. Okay. Good evening. My name is Crash. These are the boys. Is that girl a boy, too? Yes. They have a girl drummer. This song is called I Am So Sad. I am so very, very sad. Goes a little something like this. Thank you. Not a race, guys. All right, this next song goes out to the guy who keeps yelling from the balcony. It's called We Hate You, Please Die. Sweet. Love this one. Attention Kmart shoppers, we have a sale on Boba Fett action figures on aisle 6. and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) You guys love my jokes. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of ETL News. I am your host, the Jaystrom. It's so fun to be back. We're here to talk about all sorts of movie stuff and stuff like that and blah, 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 blah. And I don't do it alone. I do it with Stephen the Pop Culture's LA. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Jason. How are you doing today? Fantastic. It's nice of you to be here. We did something crazy. We actually saw a movie before Friday where we could talk about it on the show on Friday. We saw it at the same time. From different states, right? But central time zone? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because you were like, the movie's about to start. And I was like, he's in theater too. (laughs) Our usual spot, top dead center. Nice. What uh, chain theater was it? Uh, EMC, Cinemark, nope. uh, Lowe's. Nope. Do they even have those? Uh, 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 what's the the the, the Search with an R. Tinseltown? A oh, Rave? Do they no, still have Rave? Regal. Regal. Regal Cinema. Regal That's yeah. it. Cool. I was uh, on a complete blank on that. And you said it wasn't in 3D. Where you saw it, right? No, I saw it in 3D. Oh, okay. It wasn't in XD. Uh, it was not a Cinemark. 
Okay. I guess that's a Cinemark. And what we're talking about, folks, is Ready Player One. (laughs) I should mention that. And we'll talk. No, we just saw a movie. And we generic movie. We'll talk about that very soon. Uh, (laughs) But that was a lot of fun. And the week before, we saw uh, Pacific Rim, which I had been calling Pacific Rim Two, like the whole time. But it's called Pacific Rim Uprising. Stephen, did you even know that? Yes. I think I knew that once I looked at the ticket after I bought it. I was like, oh, is that what it's called? I thought it was Pacific Rim 2. Um, and we'll talk about that shortly. It uh, is. Just in our own minds, it's Pacific Rim 2. Yeah, Pacific Rim 2. It's okay to call it that. Everyone knows what you're talking about. Uh, I've actually been playing a game. I haven't played a game in a while. It's uh, Far Cry 5. Uh, it's a game, it's a, it's a franchise that I've not really played before the Far Cry series, but I was really intrigued by this game because it has to do with you, uh, battling a cult in Montana. Like, you know, they're heavily armed with all sorts of weaponry and they're a religious cult and you're after the main cult leader and his siblings and they've taken over this town of Montana. And I've been playing that. And that was so to me every time I go to Montana. <laughs> I was so intrigued by the uh, plot that I had to play it. And I have been playing it for the last couple of days. And it's been a lot of fun. The game starts with you. You're a, like a U.S. Marshal that goes there to arrest I was thinking, the cult I kept leader. I it was a futuristic game or something for some reason. Yeah, it's modern day as far as I can tell. And you you go to this compound to arrest a guy. First of all, I'm thinking, what are they thinking? Like, it's a whole bunch of cult members, and you're like, you and three guy. three other guys, you go in there, and he lets you take them, and he's like, God won't let you take me. And you get in the helicopter, and all of a sudden, they start running at the helicopter, and they're grabbing on, and it's this cool sequence where you're punching and kicking them in the head, and they're like falling, oh, whatever. And all of a sudden, an RPG, like hits the helicopter. I'm like, they're shooting at their cult leader. He's in the helicopter too. <laughs> and you know, there's this dramatic, but you know, God will save him. That's- <laughs> the whole game is from your point of view. So you don't see your body. So you're looking around to helicopters crash, Steven. And I thought, I thought of you when it happened. And then the cult leader, you're looking around and all of a sudden he creeps up in your face and he's like, I told you he wouldn't take, let you take me. And they're all they're dragging the different people out and you get loose and you run away and, you know, the game begins, you know, you find guns and stuff like that and you're battling them. But it's been the so you have to kill all the cult members. Yeah. And uh, you see well, the craziest thing is it kind of reminds me kind of of it's the same formula as like Mad Max where. <laughs> You're driving around trying to do different things, and the cult members are on the side of the road, or they'll start shooting at you, and you can battle them if you want. You can rescue people and have them join you, and you're basically trying to build an army to fight them off. And uh, the coolest thing is there's a dog, Boomer, that I rescued. His family had been killed, these people, and he was in a cage, and I killed all the guys and opened the cage, and he goes over to the dead family, which is like... And it's like, oh, and you can go up and pet him. And he becomes your pet, and you can sick him on guys. You go, and he'll chase them. And they're like, oh, get him off me. And he'll kill them. Not till he's done. (laughs) Yeah, not till he's done. 
And so I've had fun. I've have I have a pet dog that's helping me murder uh, cult members. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, your pet dog in uh, in in Mad Max only finds bombs. Yeah, he's useless. <laughs> I know but finding bombs. Oh yeah, that part where he's like, rrr, rrr, rrr. I remember that part. I'm like, but where? He but he doesn't get out of the car. He's like, what that? <laughs> yeah, he's in the back of the car, and you have to back up. And he's like, rrr, 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 rrr. okay, it's somewhere around here. And I don't know about you, but I stepped on a couple. Oh yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, too close, <laughs> or drove over one. Yeah, God, that was a pain in the ass. That was. In, the, in Mad Max, that was the thing I hated more than anything, is diffusing those stupid <laughs> mines. But you get shotgun shells out of it. So I'm just like, are they made out of shotgun shells, I guess? You you, you break apart and get all the uh, gunpowder and stuff out of the bombs. Right. But in this game, there's a lot of collectibles and stuff. And I got a crossbow. That was fun. Just shooting guys. Not a crossbow. A bow That's and a arrow. arrow. Regular bow and arrow. Uh, but I most recently... Uh, got a gun with a scope on it where I can pick guys off. That's a lot of fun. Um, what's funny is a game like this. I'm in, uh, I'm having fun killing these backwoods cult members and stuff, but in reality, I'm not really a gun person. I don't own guns or whatever, but video games, I'm into it, you know, (laughs) game guns and the game is really silly. And I'm just biding my time till the new, uh, god of war game comes out have you seen commercials to that it looks awesome um i don't know i, I can't say that i have or haven't i mean uh, you're a dude with an axe you throw it and you can hold your hand out and the axe goes, comes back to your hand i'm like sold <laughs> <laughs> must play you got a thorax yeah oh a thorax you're an ant <laughs> thorax yeah <laughs> so steven let's talk about pacific rim uprising Okay, were you a fan of the first Pacific Rim? Yes, I did like the first one. Uh, in this movie, we don't have Gilmer, Guillermo del Toro directing. We have uh, Stephen DeKnight, the guy who did Spartacus, the Spartacus series. It's his first film he's directed. I thought he did a competent job. And uh, we don't have Charlie Hunman in it. We have John Boyega. And I thought he did a good job. And we also have Scott Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's son. Yes. What's funny is... Um, he does look like Clint Eastwood, like a young Clint Eastwood at mm-hmm. times. Sometimes he doesn't to me, but sometimes there are shots in this movie where he's sometimes he's a two-face with the lighting. Yeah, he, you know, he really does have a, and sometimes like, oh Jesus, he looks just he's like dead Clint on, Eastwood. And then you, and the bright light beams him right in the face. You're like, he looks nothing like him. He doesn't have that Clint Eastwood voice though, does he? He just not has yet. not yet. Maybe maybe he needs some smart smokes or when, something. Clint Eastwood got older. He got that really bad gravelly voice like that. He needs to never do that. I'm going to make myself cough if I do that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's your one and only time, sir. I think that Pacific Rim Uprising is a lot of fun. <clears throat> it's definitely a kind of film for like 10 to 12. They're going to love this kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. It reminds me of something like a Voltron or some kind of show like that. Uh, I thought the action was fun because in the first movie, it's uh, robot versus kaiju or you know Jaeger versus kaiju, robot versus giant monster. But in this, we get robot versus robot for a time. Well, kind of, well they're robots, technically. Remember that one mysterious robot they have to fight? That, that was, one. The that, very first one. And then... Uh, that was pretty cool. 
the uh, remote robots mm-hmm. that were supposed to be protecting the new, replacing the Jaegers. And we also have a young girl character who built her own Jaeger, which yeah. I thought was cute. His name is Scrapper. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty I mean, cool. I don't want to give too much away. I mean, it's only a week old. Well, what's funny uh, is... I was almost giving some away with the ro- other robots. The way the series is... Like it has a cast of characters. It's not just Bo- John Boyega right. and Scott Eastwood. It's that girl character, and it's got her team of rookies. Right. And you know, like eventually, where are you thinking? Like eventually, they're all going to have to fight, right? They're not ready to fight, but they're right. going to have to, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the first battle comes in and kills a lots of the experienced Jaeger pilots. So the Obviously, you know that going in that the young kids are going to have to fill mm-hmm. in for the experienced Jaeger. Pilots. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Didn't it remind? It reminded me of a you know an anime or something. It cuts to them in the cockpit. I like how they do the choreographed sword hits and stuff. And I, I did like the one with the. It took three people to run it. It was so big. Yeah. And then the, uh, the girl would drop the down. The girl drop down to the gun turret in the belly. Yeah. <laughs> And then the guns go backwards and stuff. That was really cool. Shoot backwards. I mean, I can understand some people are like, yeah, but Guillermo del Toro is not directing it. But I honestly didn't feel like that. I just was having a good time. You're going to see. You're in that world. It doesn't. It's not the first movie. Get over it. The movie is for seeing robots fight monsters. Right. And you get that. And it's fun. And the characters are likable. You know? John Boyega did a great job. He's got a lot of on-screen charisma. He's He knows what he's doing. Oh, hey, Adam Sexton. How's it going? So I highly recommend Pacific Rim Uprising if you like Pacific Rim. Uh, if I could be specific, Stephen. Specific about Pacific Rim? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think Pacific Rim? Like some of those films, sometimes it builds up to a big climactic ending, and mm-hmm. it's not that exciting. But I thought it had a pretty good climactic battle. You know, they keep getting knocked on their asses fighting the giant monster and stuff. I thought it was pretty cool. Can you be any more specific? Yeah, let's see. Uh, <laughs> the bad guy in it is... The bad guy uh, took me by surprise. Took me... Mm-hmm. But I, by the end of it, I was like, it's, I'm cool with it. Yeah. You know, it's different than the first movie. They didn't, like, do the same thing of, oh, they come back and the whole yeah. thing opens up. They tried something completely different, which is fine with me. And I like that. And I thought the effects were solid. You know, But th- they did kind of tie it to, they tied it to the first one in the sense that the aliens are still trying to find a way to get here. Mm-hmm. And I also like that uh, they mentioned the characters from the other movie. Mm-hmm. So they know their well, history. You also get uh, oh Mako from Mako, the first movie. Yes, yeah, uh, and John Boyega, John Boyega is Idris Elba's son. Yes, and that's no secret. You find that out in the trailer, and that was a cool way to uh, carry that on. Mm. And uh, and obviously he couldn't be back in the movie. <laughs> yeah, and if they do another Pacific Rim. Because that movie, just like the first movie, is making a lot of bank in the rest of the world. Right. Because people love their giant robot movies in other parts of the world. And I think that'll wait a while till that girl, the young girl, is an adult and she can be a main character, you know. 
and she could build. I I almost thought she was going to build some giant uh, Jaeger by the end, but they no, it wasn't like that. But I like how they bring she'll back. Be, she'll be kind of in charge of the Jaeger program, mm-hmm. I would think. John Boyega kind of reminded me a little bit of Finn in Star Wars. How. He's just there, but he doesn't really want to be there kind yeah. of thing. I was like, he's kind of like fit in this, you know. Oh, I'm here for now, but I really don't want to be here. It's like, it's very familiar about this. So let's talk about Ready Player One, Stephen. We both read the book. Yes. I want to know this right away because I made my peace with it. In fact, you know, I read the book years ago when it came out. Do we figure out it was 2011? And I've reread it. Yeah, I've reread it twice. And then recently I listened to the audiobook. And the most recently I I was thinking of it as the first time I was when you read the book, there there's no you don't know anything about a movie yet, first of all, when the book came out. So now as I'm listening to the audiobook and I'm remembering stuff, I'm thinking they they can't have this in the movie or this will never work because this is not visual. This is like him like investigating something and it's kind of boring. It's just like a detective novel or something. You got to have the detective, you know, when he's researching. Yeah. For instance, you're going to add car chases and stuff to a detective novel because you got to give him something visual to do. And there are a lot of changes from the book to the movie of Ready Player One. And I'm going to ask you right away, did any of it bother you much? Again, it's been you know years since I've read it. Mm-hmm. So I have a vague recollection of story A to Z. Right. But details are lost, you know, because I've read it once. And I've read, I don't know, a dozen books or more since then. Right. You know, so... I'm not. I didn't go into it fresh with this idea in my head. I know the story. The stack looked great. Yeah, it, the stacks. It looked. It, it reminded me in my head visually of what I read. The way Stephen King's Pet Cemetery when they went into it at the beginning of Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Holy crap! That's the Pet Cemetery." Right. And when they came into the stacks, that's the stacks. That's yeah. what you pictured in your head, and that, that was, was awesome. Yeah, it was, and the so, of course so, the the effects are flawless in this movie. They just everything's so visual and beautiful, you know. And I even thought I loved the first the opening song they played. I was just like, ah, that's cool. And that's another thing, you know. You could say what you will about nostalgia and all the characters and little Easter eggs that are in it. It didn't overtake the movie to me. It didn't overwhelm me. Uh, or anything like that. In fact, I thought it was a little restrained in the fact that it wasn't in your face like haha here is a It's there, but it wasn't like all the characters are overwhelming you by mentioning everything. There is some, you know, they talk about some things that are it's just wasn't overwhelming or anything. It was fine. And uh I like how they change some characters and gave them more to do cuz you got to remember the book is also from the first person right. or Wade telling the story. So he's just, you only hear people talk when he's talking to them directly. Yeah, so yeah. you don't get any of Sorrento at ILI by himself with other employees in the book because uh, based on that. Wade has to be there in order for that to happen. So like I have, a, I did have a problem with Artemis in the book, the girl character. Mm. I thought that 
uh, she was a tad annoying in the book, but also, um, I thought that she was underused because it's all weighed because of the way the story is told. So I love the fact that in the movie, they gave her so much more to do. In fact, s- sequences that happened to Parsifal in the book, they gave to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was great. A great touch of making her do that. Didn't you? Yes. Giving her some sneaky stuff to do. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, I do love the actress that plays her too. Olivia cook is awesome. Yeah, she did a great job. And, and like I, said, I told you, it's like she she was great in the Bates Motel series, right? And you know, and that's where I I just like I thought she was awesome from that point. And when they saw her, I was like, holy crap! Okay, cool. Yeah, what's funny is when she you meet her as her avatar first, and I was like, sounds like Winona Ryder. I, you I, know, I was like going. She had a this very voice is familiar. Winona Ryder-y uh, voice, didn't young, she? <laughs> young Winona Ryder. And I love that. I love, the, of course, the world of the Oasis with all the characters. I thought that was so fun. That's the thing that I need to rewatch it because he explains like how the first uh, portal to lead to the first key opens it just in a throwaway line. I'm like, no, wait, no, what now? And I already missed it, what he yeah. said. But... Uh, the to get to the first key, they have to do this race over and over again, and nobody can beat this race. And it's been years. Yeah, and People as you tried it. as you see them racing, and they see the race, you can see why nobody finishes it. because yeah. <laughs> it's like impossible. But that scene, you're just kind of like watching with your eyes wide open, and your mouth open, like a gape, like holy shit! There's like so much to see in this sequence. And I thought it was a lot of fun too. Didn't you? Like, yes. I, I love yeah. the. Sorry, I was, I the King know. Kong stuff, etc. Um, it was a lot of fun, but that's the thing. You're so kind of overwhelmed by that. The visuals, it's like a visual feast that like, I need to watch the movie several times yeah. to get it all. So when it comes on Blu-ray, you'll be soaking it in for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just <laughs> know what he said in that one line. I'll have it on closed captioning too, <laughs> or subtitled. Uh, but I, the humor, a lot of laughs in the movie. Yes. And there's, I will say this, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but the middle part of the movie, there's a sequence that I thought was so fantastic. I was like, oh my God, I'm loving this. The whole movie is worth going just for the middle part of the movie. Cause it's a hunt for the key. It's all Steven Spielberg just, he did such, you know, when I was even thinking this before the movie actually came out i was thinking you know what steven this will be interesting to see steven spielberg to do something that's very heavily computer animated like an animated movie and i was like wait a second he did Tintin, and that was fantastic i have that in blu-ray i don't know did you ever see Tintin? i did not i have not seen it yet it's incredible there are some action sequences in that that are insane that he could only pull off in the animated way and it is so good. And I, of course, that's what this reminded me of. There are sequences in this that remind me kind of like picking up where he left off with Tintin. And uh, it's just so much fun. And I just had a great time. And I there's, of course, because uh, I'm familiar with the book, there's parts where I was like, okay, this is totally different, but... I'm cool with it, you know. Well, that's what I, you know, I told you I, there was a young kid that I talked to. He was sitting there and he was asking me what I thought, and I'm like, it's like, it's like, man, I liked it. It was, it was fun. Um, I said, 
I read the book when it came out years and years ago. I said, yeah. I can't tell you, you know, it's been six years plus. And I, I kind of had a healthy perspective going in. I was thinking, because so I've liked what he, I've seen of the trailers and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he was a little jaded. He just finished it like a month ago. Yeah, said. it's new to him. It's and not was, new to us. Yeah, I was like, oh, no, this, he goes, this book is that old? I, I mean, I was like, yeah, it's been around. He's already got his second book out. Mm-hmm. I said, this is his second and that, movie? And I had read... fanboys before. I had read an interview with Ernie Klein talking about writing the script for this. And when he realized, i got to separate the movie from the book, mm-hmm. I've got to do it. Because it's going to drive me crazy. Because I'm even writing the sequel to the book. And things that happen to the characters in the book don't happen in the movie it's you know vice versa and i got to separate the two and it was kind of driving him nuts he had to just throw the book away and say i have these same characters i'm going to have them do this and lead here and here so it's almost like an alternate universe version of his story like i'm going to take the same same outcome same outcome same characters but but the work is distributed they arrive at the destination this uh in a different way and that's really cool in fact i loved mark rylance as um uh anorak as the the guy (laughs) god damn it the guy who built the Oasis, mm-hmm. he, Halliday, Halliday he yeah. did such a great job. Like, well, where are you going? Okay, his name, Halliday. He's this genius, but he seems so lonely and detached. Yes. That he made him into this tragic character, you know? And, you know, there are some, like, when you think of, uh, like, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which a lot of people compare this to, you know, Willy Wonka he seemed like kind of a sad guy, didn't he? Yes. He's got this wonderful place, but he's has nobody to share it with. He's got the Oompa Loompas, but who wants to talk to them? You know, they just sing the songs all day. And the fact that he had frozen memories in time for you to watch over and over again, I thought was so sad. <laughs> like when he's a little boy, just playing games in his room, it's so lonely, you yeah. know? And, uh, I love that. How, they showed flashbacks to kids in the classroom where they first see the announcement that he's dead. And so had he written the book, like the movie, what, I mean, is, is there a way that would have been possible? You know what I'm saying? I mean, cause number one, it's like, you can't go back and change the book now. Cause right, right, right. But, uh, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I like um, the message in the, uh, movie. Of uh, this is great. The Oasis is fantastic, but, but reality—you're never gonna you get can't a, escape reality. Yeah, a re- reality—you're never gonna get a great meal in the Oasis. You know, you're never going to get a great love. Yeah, you're never gonna get the same thing. It, sure, it's great to play for a while and stuff, but the real world is more important, kind of a thing. <laughs> And it's not preachy or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, we realize that kind of a thing. We can make the world a better place and stuff. There's, you know, there were different things that I was kind of like the, the way that they got the key, the first key, I thought was really easy. Once he figured it out, I was like, wow, that's really easy. Meaning anybody could do it once you know how to do it. It's not that challenging. Right. And I thought that was interesting. And another thing is they, in the book, you, once you get the key, you have to get through the first gate and that's just as hard, right? 
you there's a challenge you have to do to get through the gate. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, in this, it's really just about the keys and going on to the next yeah. key. You get a clue in like that. They kind of shorten that, which I can understand. Uh, they couldn't re- really stretch it out too much, you know. Yeah, I mean that they could have done a a trilogy of this movie, you know, to and taken forever, taken forever to do it. But I thought that uh, Ben Mendelsohn was a great bad guy. Did you like his weird fake teeth thing going on there? <laughs> I kind of like that. It made it made it seem like he's just really vain, like yes. he's just trying oh, to yeah, look. He, yeah, that's totally what you get off of him. Is and I like the sense that. He just couldn't stand all this pop culture bullshit. Yeah. You know? That's a great. No, he was always about money, just selling at. I could sell 80% of the space, visual space in front of you. Yeah, like, there'd be ads everywhere. And, like, I get 20% of vision. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. He killed it. <laughs> I know. And I love the fact that he. Uh, he will do anything to get there. But also the fact that uh, he's such a buffoon at the same time. Like he's so there, there's a part that uh, he's talking to Wade about pop culture stuff and he's like keeping him toe to toe. But then you see there's people feeding stuff into his ear like, yeah. oh, this is from the movie. So and so, you know, I thought that was a great scene because it shows how he doesn't know any of this shit, but he needs a team of yeah, pop people. culture geeks. To- <laughs> yeah. Feeding all this stuff. And he goes, oh, yeah, well, uh, he says something about different schools, and he goes, this is a trap, sir. Don't fall into this. He's mentioning a school that has nothing to do with John Hughes movies. (laughs) I thought that was a great part. This is a trap. Don't fall into it, sir. He was trying to... uh, Animal House or something else. Yeah. It was was just funny. The the Revenge of the Nerds or something. And uh, I liked... Adam's College. uh, I liked Wade. I thought that he was very an unassuming kind of uh, actor character. I know he played Cyclops in the last X-Men, but I thought he did a good job. He kind of almost looked like a young Ernie Klein, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but I especially, I thought that uh, the rest of the high five came off great. H was fantastic. I thought instead of just H's basement in the book, they turned into ace H's garage. And, uh, it was kind of, there's one thing in the book that they go out of their way to say that Gunters don't help each other at all. It, they're, it's everybody's all for themselves and they don't help anybody yeah, because they, they don't join, they don't clan up. Yeah, they don't clan up. And in this, they don't clan up, but it's more laid back. It's not like asshole thing about it. They're friends and like, come on, help me out or whatever. They're not quite a full clan, but they're... Mm-hmm. A private clan, you want to say? You know, a friend clan? Mm-hmm. Where, did you play any of the, oh, oh there's so-and-so? I kind of didn't really do that that much. I would, like, recognize some people. The one that kind of it kind of uh, took me was Simon Pegg. When Simon Pegg was in the movie? Yeah. <laughs> just him as a character? <laughs> and I was just like, wait, what? what's, what's Simon Pegg doing here? <laughs> Yeah, I love, there's one, uh, I don't want to give away much. There's, there's, you know, like I said, the great sequence in the middle, but there's some. Uh, when they're walking through the oasis at the beginning, you know, mm-hmm. and you see some, I mean. the, the uh, You see the different worlds that you can when, go to. When uh, H is on planet, uh, 
He's on Planet Doom. He's on. Yeah, Planet yeah, yeah. Doom, Planet, Planet Doom. Doom, the yeah. PvP planet. Yeah. And they're all fighting and stuff. Yeah. That was great. Oh, and I thought that was cool. They, they show what a badass he is, and he goes, Hey, is that Dato uh, and uh, Shoto? And he's like, Oh, yeah, they're here too. And they're all kicking some ass. But then they show people in the real world, they're fighting in their house and going like this and stuff. I thought that was funny. There, There's a lot of cutting back and forth between. It's very visual, going like this. Nobody knows what that was. Yeah, there's. Uh, acting like they're shooting a machine gun. Yeah, they're acting like they're shooting a machine gun. But it would cut to them in their living room and then cut to in the game. It's all badass. But then it cuts to them. They're just alone in their room <laughs> holding up a. a invisible gun and well, it's... I, the, the sequence at the end when they're there's fighting in the the streets yeah i was like and, and how would you not get hit by a car everybody that? in the streets are on their vr headsets fighting yeah and you just see people like thrashing and stuff <laughs> but it's like how are they not run over by cars and stuff <laughs> i guess it's because everybody's in the game yeah that's another funny thing when you see people uh die in the game they fall down in the real world so you see like rows of people just falling down and stuff uh, that was a great visual in ioi you IOI, know when they're like they're in their little vr thing and it mm-hmm. turns red and they drop and there's one great laugh but what i didn't get was okay this again this is nit 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 nitpicking mm-hmm. is go respawn and they go to another one just four or five rows away and get back mm-hmm. in it and they re- yeah. why can't you just respond at the same one I was thinking it's because they have to re-log in with new characters or something, like the I, I override just, it. Like I said, I, I, that's just a nitpick. Yeah. All... There, there were some things I was nitpicking about, and I'm trying to remember some of them. I, I just thought it was silly, but I was just like, I'm they, going with it. They blow by the clues, the riddles, really fast, and how they feel. Wait, 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 I think I got it. And then they do this. And I was like, wait, wait, hold on a second. What did they do? It's been five years. Nobody can figure anything out all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But it, it is Wade figures it out because he goes to this place that doesn't exist in the book. It exists in the movie. The Grand Archives, where you can rewatch parts of Holiday's life. Of his Holiday's life. And I thought that was really cool. He's just standing there and he's listening and he's uh he's like, wait a second. And he does that somewhat in the book. And I'm going to say I could easily love the book, which I do, and love the movie, which I did, uh, and it doesn't bother me at all that they change stuff. It really doesn't. I think Steven Spielberg did a great job. He made it more of an adventure. Like, first of all, Wade is alone until the end of the book, and they're not even all in the room together, like, helping each other. Yeah. And this, they're all a group and it make the camaraderie that's in the movie. It doesn't exist in the book. I love that Wade isn't by himself. You know, I think I'll say, is it like uh, Ernie Klein wrote it from a a nerd perspective where you're alone? You're yeah, playing, yeah. Playing video games alone. You don't. That's one funny thing. Your, is, your friends are only virtual. You know, me, me and you playing. I'm in my house twenty miles from here. One thing that's funny in the book. All of the the characters, the high five, they're in different parts of the world, mm-hmm. uh, different parts of the country. In Shoto and uh, Daito, they're in Asia or something somewhere. Uh, in the movie, they're all in the same city right. because it makes more sense for them to find each other that way. Right? Like we got to have them there where they. And that didn't bother me either. It makes more sense, you know. There's even a line where Wade goes, "Wow, you're just blocks from me to uh, Artemis." Yeah. 
And I was like, I'm fine with it. doesn't bother me. And uh, I just... what? Okay, what about the IROC character? That's completely different. Yeah. Remember in the book, he's like this asshole high school kid who's kind of like just spoiled and he doesn't well, really Miller is kind of a high school kid, but TJ, <laughs> TJ Miller's character is kind of, uh, no, I mean the, the attitude he presented as I rock. Was, yeah. Yeah. Was that I almost, attitude. One thing, I don't know if you know, about the TJ more smart ass, the TJ Miller stuff going on right now in his career where he was accused of some bad shit. And I almost think that there's a part where the fate of his character happens. I expected to cut to the real world and show what a loser he is. Like, oh, damn it. And slam his, uh, you know, mask down or his, you know, visor and show that he like lives in squalor and he's just a big nerd or whatever. Yeah. But it didn't. And I almost wonder if they're like, no, we don't need to really show TJ Miller in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) We have his voice, but we don't need his face in the movie. You know? Yeah. Part of me wondered... Because was it there and they cut it? Yeah, yeah. Because it's a, it's a cut scene that would have been a good visual gag. Because in the in the Oasis, he's like this badass kind of bounty hunter hitman type of thing who's got all these incredible weapons. You can put him in a fat suit or something. Yeah, and kind of. And another thing is, it's funny because people have like you see in the race, they have different vehicles. He has the DeLorean from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, H has the big four by four crazy truck. He had Bigfoot. Wasn't that yeah. what it was? Uh, Artemis has the motorcycle from Akira. Yes. And even like later on, you see that uh, one of them has the Firefly ship. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Dato. He has the Firefly ship. Uh, it's almost like in the Oasis, these things you can loot and win them, but there's only one in the entire game is what I was thinking. Right. Uh, because there's parts where they have like different robots and stuff, but there's not duplicates. I do love when he finally has some money, goes to the store and he's like buying all this stuff and he's like, stop spending all your money. And he buys something called a Zemeckis cube. (laughs) And you hear Alan Silvestri did the music to the movie and he also did back to the future. You hear that, that cool back to the future music. I geeked out over that because I love the, that the music was in there. But I thought Alan Silvestri did a fantastic job with the score. It just felt so cool. And I'm excited. I'm getting myself excited when I want to see it again. You know, <laughs> we we need to see it together, yeah. Stephen. Uh, and uh, I hope it makes a lot of money and stuff. And it's funny because I saw some uh, website tweeted, Steven Spielberg's had a huge budget for Ready Player One. Will this be it for him if it makes no money? And Drew McQueen was like, no, it's Steven Spielberg. He's already got three movies in the pipeline. Shut up. This is stupid clickbait article. And I think it'll do just fine. It's a perfect movie for kids, don't you think? Yeah. They're just all going to love that. I mean, the and, parents will like the 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 nostalgia it, factor. Yeah, they'll they'll love that. They'll it but it's just a fun movie. There are some great laughs in there. I just want to uh there's one line, it won't spoil anything for anybody, where uh, Halliday goes, do you want it or not? <laughs> do you remember that part? Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good stuff. But I'm I'm really happy the way Ready Player One turned out. Good so stuff. Go see it. If go you see it, everybody. Be there. We can ruin it later and, and talk all and totally spoil it. 
And Bill saw it tonight, so I can't wait to hear what he says about it. Now, Stephen, you want to get into some news? Sure. All right. Um, watch Carrie Fisher slap Oscar Isaac a dozen times in Star Wars The Last Jedi. This is no doubt on the Blu-ray that just came out. Are you going to pick it up? Yes, I will pick it up. I want to pick it up, too, because there's a documentary on the making of the movie. I love this. First of all, I love the documentary for The Phantom Menace called The Beginning. I've watched that thing multiple times. I love it. Have you ever watched it? No, I don't think on, I on the, If you have The Phantom Menace, even on DVD, it's just the making of The Phantom Menace with George Lucas. And you know, it's got the guy who plays Jar Jar. It's got everybody in there. Fantastic. Um, there's a documentary on The Force Awakens Blu-ray that's fantastic, too. Uh, you know, that whole re- remember the first thing we ever saw was the photograph of them doing the script reading. They're all sitting in a square. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, just staring <sighs> at that. Oh my God. What are they talking about there? They show clips of them all sitting around and talking and stuff. It's like, we get to see that, you know what they're talking about. Just all like, Hey, is this going to suck? No, <laughs> no, it's, it's really cool. So there's one for the last Jedi and I'm excited to see, but yeah, I, I didn't buy one, two, or three of the Star Wars. No, I don't own them on Blu-ray either. I have them on... Oh, this is entertainment? Sounds like one. You're demoted. Wait, for, for what? You're demoted. 58, take two. So you just slaps them a million times. Take three. She really whaps them, too. <laughs> God. How is this face not all red? You slapped the other side for a while? You're demoted. So it's got <gasps> bloopers on it, guys. <laughs> oh my god, he's so cute! <laughs> There's a BB-8 and a tiny BB-8 with him. This whole place is beautiful. Sorry, I got someone hanging out my bum. You have to give Finn and Poe. That's me. <laughs> so anyway, we get the idea. There's bloopers on the Blu-ray, but uh, that's pretty funny, the slapping thing. Now, Stephen, there's another story that's really creepy. I don't know if you've heard about this, but remember Chloe from Smallville, Allison Mack? Yes. She's apparently in a strange sex cult. Like... Where they brand women what? with sex slaves. Cute little Chloe? Chloe. It's crazy no. shit. Let me read this to you. Smallville's Allison Mack likely facing arrest in connection to a cult. Smallville star Allison Mack may be facing arrest for a connection to a so-called sex cult following the apprehension of the cult's leader earlier this week. That's according to sources speaking with Art Voice who alleged that Mac is the co-conspirator named in a legal complaint filed by the FBI. Keith Rainier, the leader of the cult known as NXIVM, pronounced Nexium, was taken into custody by Mexican federal police on Sunday and extradited to the U.S. to face charges of sex trafficking and conspiracy to commit forced labor. Mac was reportedly on site when Rainier was arrested. And I'd read that, too, on... uh, that she actually chased after the car as they were taking him away. 
The FBI complaint details that experiences of a number of women recruited to Nexium's group made entirely of women who operated in a master slave hierarchy with Rainier as the apex of the pyramid. Recruits were forced to turn over collateral, sometimes in the form of damning documents, other times in the form of credit card numbers. From there, they were indoctrinated into the group's negative beliefs about women, sometimes put on extremely restrictive diets, and were forced to perform acts of care for their masters. These would generally include acts of common to a personal assistant like getting coffee carrying luggage grocery shopping etc eventually many of these slaves were required to perform sexual acts with rainier okay nexium you mean um (laughs) yeah yeah that's Oh, my God. Speaking to the press on Monday, FBI assistant director in charge William Sweeney called Rainier's actions serious crimes against humanity and said Rainier displayed a disgusting abuse of power in his efforts to denigrate and manipulate women he considered sex slaves. Yikes. Patrons performing sexual acts. According to reports from around the time of the New York Times article, Mack was a high-level recruiter for the organization, positioned directly below Rainier, and may have been responsible for the creation of DOS in 2015. She joined Nexium in 2006, along with fellow Smallville star Kristen Crook. Crook, however, says she left the organization in 2013 and never witnessed any of the group's more illegal activities. In a statement on Twitter, Crook express sympathy and support for victims of Rainier. I remember Bill doing that story years ago. I don't recall that. I do. Yeah. Was I there? Yeah. Rainier reportedly used the moderate. So I almost thought like, what is Bill talking about? That can't be true, but it's true. (laughs) He reportedly used the moderate celebrity of both. I like how they say moderate. Pretty mean, isn't it? The moderate celebrity of both actresses as a recruitment tool. According to Mac's own website, Rainier was a mentor to her for years, and the two of them went on to found The Source, a program for actors operating under the Nexium umbrella. In 2017, Frank Parlato, a former spokesman for Nexium, broke with the group and started a website. He has written extensively on Nexium and DOS. Did they say what DOS stands for and I missed it? I don't know. I'll come back to that. And other organizations associated. Yeah. (laughs) There he discusses Mac's involvement as a key player in the secret society of women, recruiting additional slaves for the group and participating in their ongoing activities. So far, no charges have been filed against Mac or any other women involved in Nexium or DOS. In a statement on their website, Nexium maintains Rainier's innocence. The first comment is, I'm thinking no Smallville reunion. (laughs) Someone said, what the F, man? Chloe and Lana are total sex fiends. And somebody said Callie and possibly Boomer from Battlestar Galactica as well. That's just crazy. Sounds like something Chloe would have posted on her wall of the weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Now, I also read this. Kristen Crook. Why she got the courage to speak out against the sex cult after years of being afraid. Kristen Crook was afraid to speak out before, but not anymore. A former Nexium member who knows Kristen tells HL, 
Okay, what is this website? Hollywood Life, and I don't know who Kristen is, about her brave decision to make a stand against the sex cult. Kristen Crook, 35, once had fear to speak out about her experience with Nexium, but following the, re- the arrest of Keith Rainier, she felt the time is finally right. A former member of the now infamous group who knows that Kristen exclusively, Kristen exclusively, told us... Uh, who's Kristen. Kristen Crook. Kristen Crook. Okay. Told us about... <laughs> I'm, I'm like, well, are you... Wait, the way it's written. A former member of the now infamous group knows Kristen exclusively. Oh, okay. Told us about her recent statement she made about the sex cult. Kristen was afraid to speak out before, plain and simple, our source said. But the arrest of Keith Rainier galvanized her. It proved that he was finally going to face the consequences and gave her the courage to speak out. Meanwhile, Rainier and fellow actress Allison Mack allegedly branded the women in the sex cult with their initials. The New York Times reported that former members of the sex cult claimed 57-year-old Rainier would brainwash women, have sex with them, and put them on 500 to 800-calorie near-starvation diets because he wanted to make the women in Nexium extremely skinny. Kristen has previous... Who's, who's Kristen, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Any involvement, she denied any involvement in the sex slaves. In a statement she posted on Twitter, the Canadian actress wrote, When I was about 23, I took an executive success program, Nexium Intensive, what I understood to be a self-help personal growth course that helped me with my shyness, which is why I continue with the program. I left about five years ago and had had minimal contact with those who were still involved. The accusations that I was in the inner circle or recruiting women as sex slaves are blatantly false. In addition to showing support for the victims, Kristen maintained that she had no idea that any illegal, anything illegal was going on. During my time, I never experienced anything illegal or nefarious. She went on to say, I am horrified and disgusted by what has come out of DOS. Thank you to all of the brave women who have come forward to share their stories and expose DOS. I can't imagine how difficult this has been for you. I am deeply disturbed and embarrassed to have been both associated with Nexium. I hope the investigation leads to justice for all those affected. Messed up. It's just so weird because, I mean, Chloe, she's, you know, this character on Smallville, a dumb show, but we love Smallville. I mean. What? Am I the only one who's confused here? No, you're not. No, That's messed up. It's screwy. And I've got another dark story, Stephen. I read this yeah. last night. Did you see this about John Crick Falusi, the guy who did Ren Stimpy? No. Took advantage of under, underage girls for years. He's a creeper. I don't know if you, were you ever a big Ren and Stimpy fan? Uh, I remember Jake was. He was always quoting it and stuff. But I didn't, I, have, I didn't quote it, but I watched him. I didn't have cable at the time that it was super popular. <laughs> but apparently he would, you know, I'll just give you the gist of it, that young girls would send him, like, fan art or whatever, and he'd be like, wow, you could be an animator. You could work for me. And come out to Hollywood. He would have these 16-year-old girls come out to his studio, and he would uh, give them a job, and they would basically be his girlfriends. And he's, like, in his late 30s and early 40s as this was going on. It's really creepy. And now the women are coming out basically saying, like, you know, you have this guy coming out saying that you're super talented and stuff. And, of course, you listen to him. Uh it's just really creepy if you want to read that later. 
I don't know why you would, though. <laughs> but in better news for everybody, guys, sorry, let's get... Uh, get rid of the creeper news. Yeah. Colin Trevorrow <laughs> will direct the third Jurassic World movie. <laughs> That's right. Jurassic World's Colin Trevorrow will return to the franchise. He is going to write and direct the third Jurassic World story. Executive producer Steven Spielberg told Entertainment Weekly, I can't talk anymore. Trevor Rowe also co-wrote and directed Jurassic World. A massive box office success lauded as a serviceable action film is something of a letdown compared to Jurassic Park. I know there's a lot of people who are haters of Jurassic World. I had a good time. I watched it. But I think... I remember uh, my my nephew Severin explaining this to me. He was of that age when Jurassic Park came out, like the eight to nine to ten year old range, where it was huge for him. Right. I we were adults when we saw it. Yeah. And so we we're like, oh, it's a fun movie or whatever. But it means so much more to him. I think I believe he liked Jurassic World, but there were a lot of people who were like didn't. So that's a bad example. Uh, three months after Jurassic World hits theaters, Trevor was tapped to direct Star Wars Episode Nine. Oh, here we go. A movie, a move that eventually found him in controversy. First, the director said the only reason more up-and-coming women directors weren't directing major studio action tentpoles like Jurassic Park and Star Wars as he was, they didn't have the desire to do so. <laughs> just, just shut up. Don't talk, dude. Just say you don't Idiot. know why. I don't know why. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Big dummy. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I saw Jessica. I I swear, not too long ago, I wondered, whatever happened to Chloe from Smallville? Why isn't she doing any acting? So now we know. She's in a friggin' sex cult, right? Yes. So so somebody, whatever happened to Chloe? She was so good at Smallville. Oh, she's in a sex cult. (laughs) Uh, Oh. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's busy recruiting women for another guy. She's really busy right now. You guys. She's really busy. Well, you remember <laughs> Kevin Smith had a heart attack not too yes, long ago. Sir. I saw this uh, article and I'm glad he's doing well, but it's just like Kevin Smith has lost 26 pounds in the four weeks since his heart attack. I've lost a small child worth of weight. He says <laughs> <laughs> the filmmaker is focused on losing weight after his massive Widowmaker heart attack. Down 26 pounds, started March 8th, and now four weeks later, I've lost a small child's worth of weight. Doc told me to lose 50 pounds. I'm now halfway to that goal. Ironically, this heart attack is the best thing that ever happened to my health. Yeah, that's the way it works sometimes. It's a pretty intense program, but it's been interesting and, of course, necessary for my health and stuff. But once I get to a decent place, then I can think about eating again. Hopefully, he is eating. The mono diet... He's probably talking about like a hamburgers or stuff that he had to cut out something he loves yeah the the mono diet is an animal product free and dieters cannot eat fruits or nuts no more animal related products my kid is thrilled because she's vegan she's like welcome home brother smith said of his 18 year old daughter this doesn't come from a personal philosophy this comes from i have to i don't know if i can call myself a vegan maybe a non-animal eater the program is so far manageable. And I heard that he was doing the uh, the same thing uh, Penn Gillette did. Mm-hmm. He did this vegan diet. But something like the first few weeks you eat nothing but potatoes or something. And I was like, what the hell? That doesn't sound healthy. 
But uh, I don't really lots have of, all the information. Lots of sugars in that potato. Uh, Smith said that his old eating habits are long gone. I ate the way I wanted to for 47 years and look where it got me. You had your fun. Move on. Said the father of one who previously lost 85 pounds in 2010s. I'll never eat the way I used to. Along with 26 pound weight loss, Smith is getting other great results from his new lifestyle. I feel fantastic. I have more energy than I've had in effing years. Everything's working effing better. It's not working great. Look at me. But everything is better. It's not working great. Look at me. But it's working better. He's trying to lose weight. He's he's working on it. Yeah. He's He's he's, a work in progress. Yeah. I'm glad. The clerk star is losing weight with the mono diet that helped Pendulette drop over 100 pounds. The plan recommends eating only potatoes for the first two weeks and then adding salads and vegetables over the next three weeks. There's a documentary uh, called Forks Over Knives on uh, Netflix. I watched it a few times. It's all about eating a... They don't call it a vegan diet. They call it a whole whole foods plant-based diet and how uh, it basically turns your life around where... You're eating plenty of food. You're not starving yourself, but it's all foods that's that are good for you, yeah. plant-based food. And because there's, <clears throat> I was talking about this with Laura because Laura is vegan right now, and <laughs> right now, <laughs> well, no, she will sometimes start eating chicken or something to add that in, but she'll go back to vegan. But she's she's eating very healthy, and there are people who are vegan that still eat a lot of junk food because if you go to uh, the vegan section of stores, they have cookies and vegan. They have just as much vegan junk food and you could still eat like shit being vegan. Right. And, uh, to be some vegans have a philosophy. They don't want to eat anything that comes from animal based because their love of animals. Some people who are vegan or whole food plant-based, they don't have that strong kind of philosophy they're about it for health. Reasons, they're doing it for health reasons. I think Kevin Smith is trying to say that like, Hey, I'm not one of those I'm not a- animal uh, loving. Th- I'm sure he loves animals, but he wants, this is a, a thing that I've uh, struggled with for a while. And that is that pigs are adorable <laughs> They're delicious, and they're really smart. They're smarter than dogs and they are freaking delicious. Bacon is delicious. But there's this uh, video of these people telling their pet pig to put all of his toys away. And he's going around and he's picking each thing up. He's dropping it in the box. It's just really adorable. And it's like, we eat those. It's terrible. I don't want to see that video. I know. (laughs) It reminds me of uh, Lisa. Lisa, don't eat me. And the Simpsons. I, I think I should. I think everybody should go vegan for a while. And uh, like Laura said, you don't have to do it all the time. What if you start out with breakfast and lunch are vegan and dinner, eat your meat and then maybe cut it to three days a week. You're eating meat and then cut it to only on weekends. And then eventually you're like, I don't need that anymore. And you're just, you're, cause there's all these filling meals and stuff. Well, I did that for 20 odd years without beef. I mm-hmm. went, you know, I went like 20, beef! Mm-hmm. I went 23 years without beef. I'm sorry. You made me think of my aunt Florence <laughs> when she, uh, thought you were lying to her. She'd go beef. And, 
and it was funny. I told Heather all about that. And one time I was telling her some like crazy story and she just goes, beef. <laughs> I was like, it's true. And also I remember sometimes, uh, Florence would watch us like when my mom was working, or whatever. And I'd have to go to school the next day. And I, I don't feel good. I think I should stay home. You're gold bricking, gold bricking, beef. <laughs> Be like, I can't argue with that. I'm going to school. <laughs> I'd rather go to school and listen to beef all day. <laughs> beef. Yeah, I couldn't gold brick. So anyway, I'm very happy for Kevin Smith. When I heard that happen, I was like, no, we don't want Kevin to go. He just got here. Now, Stephen, I don't really have a, a game with Stephen. Uh, oh. but I'm going to come up with one on the fly. Oh. That's right. Um, it's going to be, um, gold bricking, gold bricking. <laughs> you had a whole weekend. I was at a concert last week, so you could have come. Up I don't, with a... I, I don't know what to do, Stephen. Uh, I'm trying to think of something. What do you say we read some Rotten Tomatoes? Sure, let's do that. let's read some Rotten Tomatoes. You say either, I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and neither, neither, let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato. You like tomato, I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. I like spelled tomato juice. Ah, yes. Let's read Rotten Tomatoes. Ready Player One. Let's do that one, Stephen. Sure. It's currently 70... talk about it enough. 76% fresh, 192 fresh, 60 rotten. Let's read the rotten one, Stephen. Sure, let's do it. Matthew Lacona of San Diego Reader says, Life in the Oasis is exciting and wondrous to behold through your avatar's oversized anime eyes, but it doesn't mean much without some real-world stakes, and that's where the film stumbles badly. One out of five. Wow! One out of five? Okay. J- Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal says, Haptics weren't needed to feel the emotional pull of the best films. They aim for the heart and hit much more often than they missed. Ready Player One aims for the adrenal gland. Okay. And? Didn't sound too bad. Jackie K. Cooper of JackieKCooper.com says. (laughs) I don't trust him. Another disappointment from Steven Spielberg. He has come a long way down from the heartwarming charm of E.T. to this cold and brassy virtual reality escapade. Four out of ten. Wow, Jackie. Can't believe he feels that way, Steven. Four out of ten. What a dick. Well. Luke Godsell of The Monthly. It's an Australian magazine, I guess. It harms with Spielberg's unmatched formal elasticity, mate. But it's also shrill, soulless piece lacking a sense of wonder. And even an interrogation of such essential to its director's best work. I don't understand. You should have had Rick read that. (laughs) K. Austin Collins of The Ringer says, Ready Player One may be a movie about the future, but it's damningly a product of our present. Okay, what does that mean? 
Akash Kark. Spielberg's film, which could have been done so much more, does not improve on the novel. It's a missed opportunity. Ah, blow it out your ass, buddy. Pete Rainier. Wait a second. Isn't the leader of the cult? Keith Rainier. That's his uh, brother, uh, Pete. Spielberg wants <laughs> us to drop the techno gadgets and join hands, but it's the VR world that really juices him. He's the ultimate fanboy making a movie about the need to move beyond being a fan. B minus. Adam Graham says, a blast of pure childlike amusement. I give it an A. <laughs> I'm a nerd. Uh, Mark Daniel of the Toronto Sun says, many of the book's references to Spielberg's cultural artifacts have been stripped away, but he imbibes the movie with flashes of color. That's the way they spell it in Canada. And heart that rekindle a sense of wonderment that will transport many viewers back to their childhoods. I give it a three out of four. Mm. Jeffrey M. Anderson of the San Francisco Examiner says, an exhilarating ride. As good or better than most other films of its type, I give it a 3.5 out of four. Good job. Our favorite, Jim Judy. Jim Judy of Screen It says, the offering is quite a fun and frenetic blast and is far, far better than that initial movie trailer suggested. What was wrong with that trailer? Full content review for parents, violence, profanity, nudity, etc. Also available. There's no nudity in the movie. What the hell are you trying to smoke, dude? Or what the hell are you... This is a meanie. What are you on? <laughs> what? <laughs> Allison Wilkinson, she gave it a bad review, Stephen, but this makes no sense. It's a little hard not to feel like the Emperor isn't wearing any clothes. Three out of five. How is that rotten? <sighs> Tom Meek of Cambridge Day said, Ready Player One feels long played out. Two out of four. I can see why that's rotten, but it's kind of average, though. But a four out of five, or three out of five, that's fresh. I still say there needs to be a website where you, the person who logs it in, if you submit your results, you have to submit it under guidelines of that website. Well, here's of, another thing, Stephen, of, look. Of one through five, or one through ten, whatever you want to do. Peter Sobzinski says, Ready Player One is more like a seven-course banquet made up entirely of pixie sticks and pop rocks you certainly get a rush from it for a little while but once the initial effect there is not much anything else going for it but overindulgence three out of five fresh that sounds like a worse review than the one that the lady gave it a three out of five and it's rotten <laughs> this is so effed up how screwed up it is roxana hadadi says it may be impossible to separate radio player one from its references and without the easter eggs inside jokes and endless homages ready player one doesn't offer much that is unique to itself 2.5 out of 5 separate it from that's not what it's about people it's so weird i guess if there's nostalgia there's people who are triggered by nostalgia where they just don't want to get into it or it, it really turns them off she had a, a bad experience. Her boyfriend broke up to her to hollow notes, the last song. <laughs> yeah. That's why she didn't like it. Leonard Malton, he reviewed the movie. Let's see what he says. There's the same zaniness, the same big sight gags, and the same frenetic race to the finish climax. 
All right. Fans of Ernie Klein's book are already grumbling about the changes and omissions of this expansive, expensive adaptation. I enjoyed the film more than I expected to, but felt that it went on too long and squandered its potential in the process. But, hey, did you guys check out my lame Bugs Bunny button I have on my lapel? Oh, shut up, dork. <laughs> uh, let's see if there's anybody else. Like, where's uh, the one guy? What's his name, Steven? The guy from, uh, you know, the guy we hate. What's that uh, guy? Uh, oh, wait, I haven't seen this guy in a while. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lyles. Lyles of Lyles Movie Files. Worth the hype and is definitely one of the appointment films we're seeing so far in 2018. A 10 out of 10. I like Damn. this Jeffrey Lyles guy now. Way to go, Lyles of Lyles Movie Files. Pete Travers, what did he say? I don't find his thing here. Oh, there it is. For those looking for Ready Player One to condemn the Digiverse as a destructive force against human connection, find another movie. Spielberg's mind-bending joyride won't quit, even when the head-spinning spectacle hits sensory overload. Game on! Three out of four. All right, way to go, Pete. Pete Travers loved it, Steven, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. Three out of four? You can leave. I'll take it from here. Oh, okay. All right, Stephen. God's not dead. Are you sure? A light in darkness. There's been multiple. It's funny. Emma's like, we've got to see this. <laughs> okay. Uh, ten, what, what's the storyline? Ten reviews counted. Uh, two fresh, eight rotten. A church destroyed. A congregation silenced. A relationship shattered. Yet even in life's darkest valleys, a small flame can light the way toward healing and hope. After a deadly fire rips through St. James Church, Hadley University leaders use the tragedy to push the congregation off campus, forcing the church to defend its rights and bring together estranged brothers for a reunion that opens old wounds and forces them to address the issues that pull them apart. In theaters nationwide, God's Not Dead, A Light in Darkness is a powerful reminder that in all circumstances, we're all called to be a light, uh, or more, please, for Jesus to a world in desperate need of hope. Stephen, this sounds like it's your kind of show. Jesus Christ! That's right. John Corbett is in it. Ted McGinley! Hell yeah! Sheila O'Malley of RogerEbert.com says, It features all the familiar elements from the two previous films. A persecution complex, an us-versus-them attitude, and visions of brave faithful going going up against a hostile secular society. (laughs) Dave White of The Rap says, The third chapter in the conservative evangelical franchise known for its flabbergasting box office success might have learned some... Christian humility. Okay, not much humility, but on this map's legend, an inch equals a mile. I didn't know this was a trilogy. Yeah, apparently so. Noel Murray of Los Angeles Times says, less strident than the two surprise hits that preceded it, but it still tells a a prog... prog, What is this word, Stephen? Pragmatic? Programmatic. Programmatic story rooted in presumptions. Thank you, ma'am. 
Vadim Rezov of AV Club says, A light and darkness isn't as offensive as the first film. It lacks the requisite misogyny and Islamophobia and does a better job of looking like it's almost a real movie, but it's not far behind. An emblematic film for the f- for the foul moment. Okay. Let's read some good reviews. Jim Judy of Screen It reviewed this, Stephen. He said, The film heads in the right direction in conclusion, albeit one that might not appease those who still believe they're victims in some war to take away their religion. Full content review for parents. But what, what is this? Jim Judy's always offering this. I doubt this movie has a nudity. He wants you to sign up to his website so he can send you personal emails. Don't you want to get personal emails from Jim Judy? Jim Judy, yes. Jim Judy, Jim Judy, Jim Judy, Jim. Tyler Perry's Acrimony. Have you seen this? No, sir. First of all, ten reviews counted, three fresh, seven rotten. A faithful wife, played by Taraji P. Henson from Empire, tired of standing by her devious husband, is enraged when it becomes clear she has been betrayed. Written and directed by Tyler Perry, Stephen. Pete Travers says, Tyler Perry's acrimony, presumably tiled to set it apart from your acrimony or mine, <laughs> will make you angry for wasting the talents of Paraji, Taraji P. Henson on a hack job, unworthy of her talent and your money. Look, it says, unworthy of her talent, talent and your money. Got a little uh, typo there, Pete. Alonzo Duraldi of The Rap says, This isn't the deepest plot, but compared to the usual Saints vs. Sinners tales that Perry has offered up over the course of 19 feature films he's written... Oh my god. 19? Acrimony? Like, 17 of them are Medea movies, so... Oh. Acrimony takes us to a whole new levels of complexity. Monica Castillo of RogerEber.com says, Taraji P. Henson deserves better. Remember, she was on uh, Person of Interest. Do you remember that? No. All right. Uh, Owen Gleiberman says, A ludicrously scattershot drama in which overwrought feminine rage, diary of a mad woman craziness, and inept filmmaking are all but inseparable. <laughs> uh, I can't read any more of this. So, Stephen, next week, A Quiet Place comes out. <sighs> Oh, A Quiet Place comes out. It's currently 100% fresh. 34 reviews, all of them fresh. It's directed by John Krasinski. In the modern horror thriller of Quiet Place, a family of four must navigate their lives in silence after mysterious creatures that hunt by sound threaten their survival. If they hear you, they hunt you, Stephen. Starring Emily Blunt and the kids who are in the movie. Okay. I want to see this. I really do. It looks great. But ready to be scared? But it looks like it will give me an anxiety attack. The nightmares? There's something about quiet, no sound that's creepier, isn't it? No, I love quiet. You love quiet movies? Yes. Well, I keep going back to The Grey, a movie I've said repeatedly scared the shit out of me. It's a very quiet movie. I'm just... Uh, I Emma wants to see this, too. Leah Greenblatt says of Entertainment Weekly, When a quiet place has one finger on the panic button and the other on mute, 
it's a nervy, terrifying thrill. Brian Tallarico of RogerEber.com says, A tight thrill ride, the kind of movie that quickens the heart rate and plays with the expectations of the audience while never treating them like idiots. In other words, it's a really good horror movie, Stephen. Good. Owen Gleiberman says, Sometimes getting on the clever whatever wavelength of a horror film and just rolling with can be a part of the fun. A Quiet Place is that kind of movie. I'm Owen Gleiberman, and I'm out of here. Eric Kahn of IndieWire says, Directed with first-rate visual flair by John Krasinski. Who knew? This riveting near-silent thriller exudes the despair of a broken world with a concision of a Cormac McCarthy novel folded into a simplistic B-movie premise. I give it a B+. All right, thanks for that. John DeFore of Hollywood Reporter says, Even moviegoers who don't accept the metaphor are going to have the pants scared off them. Oh my god. That could be a disaster in the theater. You get in trouble with that. Yeah. Pants off in the theater. Dwight Brown of the National Newspaper Publishers Association says, A quiet place with its extremely well-thought-out use of silence and noise is another one of the New Age pioneers that is stretching boundaries. Rarely has a scary movie been so filled with vulnerable protagonists and fraught with abject fear. I don't know if I want to see this anymore. Luke Buckmaster says, Despite some B-movie residue and the novelty of the premise and no shortage of bump-in-the-night spooks, it is pro-human and pro-intellectual, reinterpreting survival of the fittest as survival of the smartest. (laughs) Basically, I know I'd survive in this movie. Oh, wow, he's really full of himself, Stephen. Fiona Nuala Halligan says, of Screen International. If this was an easy thing to do, we'd have one of these films every week. But Krasinski's script brings human emotion to a genre entertainment to create suspense in a way that even Hitchcock might have enjoyed. Now, I like this idea that they're saying it's smart. One of my problems with horror movies, especially, uh, like I've said it about zombie movies, is the only way people die is because they do stupid shit. Right. The plot calls for them to be stupid. That's the only way they can be a peril. I love the idea that they're intelligent and they're smart and they live in a world where they can't make noise. Eventually, have you ever tried to be quiet in a room where somebody's sleeping or something? Mm-hmm. It's hard not to make any noise, isn't it? Yes. Knock something over, stub your <clears throat> toe, drop something. I'd be dead in this world so quickly. <laughs> I mean, we have a beagle. Beagle, a baby would get us killed immediately when she. Need her. Like they're coming to get us. It would just happen. Christy Puchko, love Christy. A quiet place feels fiercely original, risky, and undeniably frightening and fun. Dude, I'm getting pumped up for this. I'm gonna be scared, but it. I want to see a good movie. And also, Stephen, on April 6th, Arab the Chappaquiddick comes out. <laughs> I was waiting for this one. The Chappaquiddick. Uh, also, blockers. Blockers. Did you see the commercial to this where the parents are trying to keep their oh, yeah, 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 yeah. children from losing the virginity? 
Looks silly. Could be fun. We'll see. Except well, they've got the rooster above the blockers. All right, Steven. I think I have an idea for a game uh, real quick. You do not. I do. I do. But you can't look at the screen at all because this is going to be on the fly. Okay? Ready? Okay. It's time for playing games with Steven the Pop Culture Zealot. A game where we check to see if Steven's microphone is working or if he's even still awake. Let's challenge him to some zany stuff. So what do you say, everybody? Let's challenge Steven to some trivia and other crazy shit. Yay! Let's challenge Steven to stuff. Let's end the music, okay? Okay, there we go. Okay, Steve, you can't look. You'll ruin the game if you look, okay? This is on the fly. This involves John Hughes movies, okay? Okay. Did this song come from Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, or Weird Science? Here's the first song, okay? Ready? Okay. That wasn't one of the options, Stephen. <laughs> what were the movies you said? 16 Candles, no, Red yeah, 16 Club. Candles. 16 Candles. It was Molly Ringwald, that's why I was... <clears throat> okay, so I'm going to give you that one. The The first guest uh, wasn't one of the movies. <clears throat> no, I was thinking in Molly... I knew it was Molly Ringwald, and I just went to to that one. Okay, well... um <clears throat> Okay, Stephen, uh, the next song... <laughs> yes. This is going to be so hard. You'll never get it. Okay. Nobody help him. Okay. Oh my God. What's happening to my voice? Okay. Which movie was this from? All right, Stephen. 16 Candles. Keep going. Weird Science. Okay. Or... or. I'm going to go with 16 Candles again. Bzzz. Sorry, Stephen. Weird Science. It is from Weird Science. Do you remember what part of the movie it's from? No. It's, it's kind of like towards the end when uh, they're like walking away. Wrong. Uh, they're, walking, they're <laughs> dropping off. The, they're dropping off the girlfriends. Oh, at, okay. Yeah, the yeah, song's yeah, kind yeah. of playing. Okay, here's the next song. Okay, remember, don't look at the screen, Stephen. I'm not looking at the screen. Okay, was this in Sixteen Candles, Weird Science, or Breakfast Club? You know what song this is? 
Okay, I'll skip ahead. You know what song it is? No. Oh, you don't? Oh. It's from 16 Candles. You got it right. It's uh, Hang Up the Phone, Get Off the Line. Steve, you can't look at the screen. <laughs> All right. I don't know if you saw this, but what? No, I didn't see. I can't see. Which John Hughes movie, Steven? Yeah, you got it. Hey. All right. I'm going to hit you with one more, okay? Okay. No looking. No peeking, Steven. Nope. Totally cheating if you are. (laughs) That's not helpful if it's a clip from the movie. (laughs) All right. Forget that. Forget that. I got a different one. A clip from the movie. Thanks a lot. All right, I'm thinking of one. Okay, here we go. This which John Hughes movie is this from, Stephen? Let's see if you recognize it right away. It's Wall of Voodoo deep in the jungle. I figured it was a, a party scene. I guess. I don't even know when it is. Yeah, good job, Steven. It's when the bikers showed up. Congratulations, Steven. You win. I missed one. <gasps> you win, Steven. Congratulations, you are the winner of the Battle of the Drops. You are thereby thusly named the king. It's from the Battle of the Drops episode. (laughs) It's pre-made. Sorry, Adam, you've been (laughs) dethroned. (laughs) That's so funny. I was like, what is this from? It sounds familiar. That's what it's from. All right, Steven, thank you much. uh, Was was that pretty fun, pulling out of nowhere? Come on. Yeah, yeah. I've got a yeah, pre- if you would do a themed movies where it's like John Hughes, or you want to do well, you can't do uh, a Tim Burton because it's all Danny Elfman stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, Was this uh, in Charlie's Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see you on the flip side. Thank you. Good night. Here all week, try the veal and Oh, birthday. <laughs> Just say it out loud. I'm like, in Hello, everybody. We're back. <laughs> Did you miss us? You could hear us talking the whole time. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. This is Entertainment Landfill. And it was so much fun to talk about the movies we've seen and stuff like that. Now, if we do go see uh, that quiet movie, as I keep calling it, I'm like, Hey, what is that movie called? The one where they're quiet 
It's called uh, A Quiet Place. It's like, why can't I remember the name of this? Uh, Quiet Town. Before we go, let's wish Jessica a happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Jessica. It's it's coming up in a couple days. It's a tradition on the show for us to play you a birthday song. But it's not just any song. It's this song. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy Happy birthday. birthday. But that's not all. We also have (laughs) Whoopi. Happy birthday to you. Ah, good times. Happy birthday, Jessica. And you spent it listening to our show, this ridiculous show. (laughs) Good times. Now, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you would, go to etlandfill.com. There you can find all of our previous shows all the way to episode one. All you got to do is scroll down on the right side and click on show archive that's right you can listen to all sorts of silly shows and you know i've been listening some of the old shows i'm in the 200 somewhere and dude i do some wincing at times (laughs) because they're back in the day like i can even attest this to bill i go dude sometimes like you will wince at shit you say because I've winced at stuff I've said five seconds after I've said it. Yeah, but it's just like, uh, I there's no excuses other than we're more we're idiots, but we're always having fun and stuff. And I hope people have had a good time listening all these years. I know I have. I have a good time listening to some of the shows. I can't believe we covered, but uh, I've always <laughs> enjoyed doing the show with you and Bill. Hopefully, we'll get Bill on the show soon. I was hoping he'd come on tonight. He saw Ready Player One. He's still processing the film in his brain. If he, he saw it yesterday, he could have processed it already. <laughs> yeah. It was neat seeing it on a Wednesday. We saw it at 7 o'clock. We got out a reasonable time. Emma had to go to school the next day. Got home by 9.30, you know? I got out of work. <clears throat> I got back to the hotel about 6.15, mm-hmm. 6.20. Dropped the, my coworker off and... Ran straight up to the theater. I'm like, I don't want to be, you know, stuck down on the front row. Did that have a sign seating, by the way? No. Oh, so you just had to, were you like, top row center, top row center? I got there and bought my ticket. I walked in and there were six people in there other than me. How close did the person sit next to you on the top row? Was Uh, it top row to Two over. Two over? He didn't, He didn't. not just one seat, he skipped two seats. It seemed like a lot three. of people were showing up late. Even There were even people showing up after the movie already started. I'm like, come on, what is the deal, people? And then there were, pe- two of them came and sat not quite right in front of me, just to the right in front of me. So, like but everybody said, seemed to gather after, closer to the time of the movie starting, people started gathering more top center where I was. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to uh, see it again. Um... Maybe we should see it in the IMAX. I don't know. Is there it playing on IMAX somewhere? No, but like, see, <laughs> like in XD and 3D, this is weird. Usually, we'd go see it late at night. But right now, like it's showing at 7.40 p.m. in the evening. Isn't that weird? 
What are they doing? Weird. But we could go see Acrimony tonight at 10.30, Stephen. No, thanks. (laughs) Come on. See, God's not dead. Light in the darkness. 10.10. We can make it. Let's go. Sherlock Gnomes. Sherlock Gnomes. Did we talk about Tomb Raider? We saw that, too. Oh, yeah, we did. We didn't talk about it. We saw the Tomb Raiders over here. I thought it was fun. I thought, like, okay... It's based on a video game. I thought it could have been great had they changed a few things. I thought Alicia Vikander was fantastic as Lara Croft. But I feel like they... First of all, the adventure takes a while to get started. They show her normal life. She's a bike messenger and all that. Do we really need all that? No. I think it should have started with her on the boat going towards the island. It should have began like that and maybe kind of told through narration what had transpired to get her there or something. Maybe some flashbacks or something. Did, did we, I mean, was there any, ne- yeah, you're right. It wasn't necessary to really have that. To And I played that game. Like she's on the, she's on the boat with one other guy in the game. There's a crew of people. So when it wrecks and some people die and stuff, it's more kind of like shocking. Yeah. And they, uh, the bad guys, take people from that crew and they basically put them to work. So that's even more like uh important for Lara to save them because they're all people shipmates. she knows. We shipmates. Yeah. She knows who they all are and stuff. Instead they made it one guy and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And uh, I, you know, they had her, uh, her dad as a character there and the thing about their dad, that was fine. I thought a lot of it was good. I thought, if they just kind of tweaked it, it could have been fantastic. The first part would, is only there because of the last part. Right. The first part is there to set up her family situation yeah. and also to show how she she kind of denounces her family's money and she wants to make it on her own. She's a bike messenger. She can really ride a bike fast and but, jump and around. And I think I brought this up to you right after the movie. It's like, she wants to make it on her own. She doesn't think her father is dead. If she took the money, she could go hunt for him. She could have done it years ago. Problem solved immediately, yeah. Yes. But, I mean, I do. I thought the girl, uh, Elisa Vikander, the actress, I don't want to call her the girl. That's not right. Laura, uh, Laura Croft. Lara Croft. She was Lara, Steve. Lara. No, it's Lara Croft. She was great. She did a good job. She did a great job. And um, the bad guy from uh, Justified, he was good. But if the point of the but if the point of it was just trying to find her father, she could have hired a big mercenary crew and gone out and found there, him. There's a part where she opens a crypt solving a puzzle. They don't let the audience know anything about her puzzle solving. They just show her show, t- t- twisting yeah. dials, and we're like, "Let us in on this. What is she doing? How is she solving this?" They don't they don't let us know at all. Unlike Ready Player One, that does let you in on that. Yeah, just come on, let us in on the problem solving or something. But I would definitely, you know, when it comes out on uh, Blu-ray, it's a, you're going to be entertained watching on cable and stuff. I don't know if there will be another Tomb Raider, but I yeah. think they could get it right it next time. Yeah, it wouldn't be one I would buy. It's a, you could watch it easily on a movie channel. Or... If they did a sequel, they don't, they've got the origin out of the way. Right. Steven, you okay over there? You're making a weird sound. You having trouble breathing? Having the reverse sneezes. <laughs> 
All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, uh, Jessica, Adam, and uh, who else was in there? Just Jessica and Adam. Jessica, as I said before, happy birthday. Right, Stephen? Yes. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Daniel Shan. Happy birthday to you. Alright guys, until next time, go out there, go see Ready Player One, and we'll see you next time! Well guys, that's it, that is the show, and that's pretty much it. I mean, what else is there in life, you know? I really am just going to eat a sandwich that consists of ones and zeros. Casting.